Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. We are in part three of our series called Throwdown in Torah, where we are walking through the life of Jacob. This is week three that we are in right now. Uh, Part one of the series was about God being in pursuit of us and doing more in our story than we actually know or can see ourselves. Part two, last week we talked about the battle against instant gratification that we all face on a daily basis and how we need to fight against the need for what we want now, for, for actually desiring for what we want most. And today we're continuing the story. Uh, last week we were looking at the moment where there was a stew involved and a tr- bad trade that took place. And now we're jumping into Genesis chapter 27. So if you could follow along on the big screen in the sky, we're going to jump right into verse 1. And it says this. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebecca was listening, just happened to be listening, walking by, hanging out in the corner. We don't really know. Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before the Lord, before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. This is Rebecca talking. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Again, every single time. Just like the distinctive feature. Dude's a hairy guy, and everyone wants to talk about it. But anyways, continue. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. Let's pray real quick. Father, we're so grateful that your word teaches us and leads us in new ways every single time we dive into it. I pray that our hearts are open and ready to receive a a challenge and a push as you present new ideas that are relevant to our stories in the here and now. Uh, Guide us through the story of Jacob and help us to see ourselves in it and see you working in ways that we could never imagine. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so my question for you this morning is, what, what are you willing to do to achieve your destiny? How, how far are you willing to go? Uh, how much farther are you willing to go when you believe you're actually doing God's will? And I think, I think destiny is an interesting word. It's, it's epic. It's, it's a little bit dramatic. Uh, and my mind goes to a uh, clip from Lion King. I, I, I think we have it ready.
That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. No, please, don't leave me. Remember. Father. Remember. So this is what goes through my mind every time I hear the word destiny. Remember who you are as the clouds billow and Mufasa goes from Jesus into the clouds and dissipates into nothing. And it's dramatic and it's epic. That, that's kind of what comes to mind when we think of the word destiny. It has this, this dramatic kind of connotation to it. Uh, ho however you think about it, I think we need to actually shift a little bit of the thinking to a place where it's more accessible. And so instead of the word destiny, let's, let's replace it to something a little more tangible that I think we actually think of it this way, and as success. What would you do to achieve what you quantify as success? I know, I know for myself, success looks different ways at different points in life. When you're younger, success is like hitting a shot with your boys on the basketball court. So you want to get the kicks that everyone has. And so when the one guy shows up who's really good at basketball and he's got the Nike shocks on, you're like saying to yourself, I'm going to get the Nike shocks so I can be good at basketball. When you go to later on in life and you're wanting to go to med school, that was my thing for a period of my life where everything in my life was situated around the idea of I need to go to med school. This is what I'm supposed to do in my life. And then you have a friend who gets into med school after his second year of his bachelor's, and then you're like, I hate you. I'll love you from a distance, but I'll hate you up close. Is that how, that's how it works, right? Uh, and, and we quantify success sometimes based upon what we see with people around us. There's this anthropologist named Rene Girard, and he talks about this idea called mimetic desire. And the idea is situa situated around the concept of how we actually desire things in our life. Do we actually desire them for what they are? Do we actually desire them from something within? What he actually tends is that what we do on a day-to-day -day basis is that we build our passions, our desires, our longings, and our cravings based upon what other people have and feel and do around us. For example, uh, 
blessing is he, he has if he has a cup of coffee in his hand and he's enjoying this cup of coffee and and it, it looks so good i desire this cup of coffee not because i want the coffee but because of the experience that he has out of it the pleasure that he gets from it so when we go on a day-to-day basis we desire things in our life we, we desire success and the models of success based on how other people achieve it when we see someone do well in basketball we ask the how and we want to train in the same way. We, it's, the same, it's the way it works in sports in general, that there's this copycat mentality. When one team wins the Stanley Cup, for example, it seems like the next year everyone tries to replicate the style of play that they brought into the situation. They go from fast and quick to heavy and hard-hitting. It's just it shifts every year because everyone is desiring success but they're basing it off of the way other people find success. And this is kind of what we do. We see other individuals in our lives find success, and we end up longing for success through the manner in which they accomplish it. But what this does is it creates this rivalry between individuals where you're constantly in opposition going for the same thing through the same model. It's like you're saturating the market, per se. You're bringing more and more of the same desire through the same model into the same situation. And the idea that we see in this situation with Jacob is representative of how we desire things in our life and how we pursue them based on what we see as successful or what's going to make our life better or what's going to move us towards this place of actually feeling like we have an importance in the world. We we don't actually want success. We want their success. So, so far in the story, Jacob has been this character that it's kind of faded in and out. In our first couple of weeks, we, we didn't actually really focus on Jacob. Week one, we talked about Isaac more. And then last week, we talked about Esau. And this week, is, we're going to talk a little bit about Jacob. The individual that kind of comes to the forefront is someone else again, and it's his mother, Rebecca. And up to this point, there's been moments where I feel like we can have a little bit of sympathy for, for Jacob. He's the younger brother. He's grabbing on the heel. He's not as hairy as Esau. He doesn't have all those things going for him. And yet he seems to be continuously moving forward and, and getting opportunities in his life. So you, you kind of cheer for him, even though he's a little slimy, a little shady. You're not too sure about him. But then we get to this story here in Genesis 27, and you kind of lose all sympathy for him for the route that he takes to achieve the success that he believes he needs to find. And he's the hero at some points in our story, and then he's the villain at other points in our story. And I, and I love that that's the character of Jacob, that he's not good all the time, and he doesn't get it right all the time. Neither is he just a bad guy that's the Disney character that always seems to do the awful things with a weird smirk across his face. He, he's, he's real, where he's walking through the journey of life and his decisions and his circumstances and his relationships all seem to play into the reality of his story. And so we go back to Genesis 27, verse 1, and it says when J- Isaac was old and he asked for, for some delicious food, and, and in the Hebrew it says machamim. Everyone say machamim. 
kind of sounds like an Italian dish. <laughs> but I- this is what he's, he's asking for specifically. He, he wants this one dish. And, and even when we think about Isaac in this scenario, he says, I'm old and I'm blind and I'm about to die. And he feel, you feel kind of bad for him. And then as the story plays out, Isaac, and he comes and he deceives him. And, and Isaac gives away the blessing. And, and, and it seems like a series of events as if Isaac has no control over it. And sometimes when we read the Bible, I think we, we focus on individual characters and we dehumanize the individuals around that central character. And we look at the, indivi- the character of Isaac as if he is just forced to do the things in the story that he's forced to do. As if he's a stormtrooper in Star Wars that is shooting randomly and then every once in a while gets a, a lucky hit because the writer decided that someone needed to die. But it wasn't really his own decision making in the process. But this is what we know about Isaac. Isaac was the patriarch of the family. Isaac knew about the, pr- the promise given to his father, Abraham. Isaac was aware of the prophecy given to his wife about the younger son and the older son. He was aware of all these things, and he was probably aware of the rivalry between his two sons. He was not unaware of the situation taking place. He's not an individual in the story that is just being forced along the way. He is just as much trying to force his desires into place. So he asked Esau to come see him. And and in some ways, it seems as if he's trying to reconcile a situation that's gone badly. Because the birthright has been taken from Esau, but Isaac still wants to give him the blessing. And, and in, in a lot of ways, it, it feels fair. It feels only right that Esau should get the blessing because Jacob got the birthright. The word, the word blessing in, in Hebrew, Hebrew is baraka, and the word birthright in Hebrew is bakorah. And, and they're not the same thing. I, I know for myself, often when I heard the story of Jacob and Esau, I always thought of it as if, when he got the birthright, he immediately got everything. But it was actually two separate things in this scenario. It wasn't just one mass thing that he got all to himself. There was two things at play here. When he got the birthright, it was like a financial blessing. He got double the inheritance that was going to come from Isaac. But the blessing, the blessing was the authority that was going to come. And isn't it fascinating to see that Jacob had craved and desired this birthright and he had manipulated and and worked his way into the situation so that he could get the birthright out of it. And even after he had achieved his goal, even after he had taken the birthright away from Esau, he still craved something more. Because this is how it works when we covet things in our life, when we desire something that belongs to someone else. When we get the thing that we have been craving, it is never enough. When, when I've read the Ten Commandments growing up, the one that I always kind of like skipped off the page, didn't really matter, was thou shall not covet. Okay, I won't hope I get my friend's bike. won't hope I have this house. That seems nice. But I think the idea of coveting it seems very biblical it seems <laughs> it seems very high-minded but it's just the idea of 
longing and desiring something that someone else has. And it doesn't have to be something simply physical, but it could be the idea of success. It could be the idea of family. And what it shows over and over again is that when we covet, the reason why God doesn't want us to covet after things is because when we covet after things, we sacrifice our joy and we sacrifice our contentment over and over and over again. To covet is to sacrifice your joy on the altar of comparison. And it seems like this has been the narrative of Jacob's life. He's been constantly made aware that he was the younger son that the birthright wasn't his, that the blessing wasn't his. And so he gets the birthright, and that's still not enough. He knows that he's already taken away something from his brother, but he then makes a decision that I'm going to take even more. Maybe then I'll find fulfillment. Maybe then I'll find that I have some importance in the world. Maybe then I will matter to my father and to my mother and to the people around me. Maybe then if I take what belongs to someone else, and this is the cycle that he is drawn into, and this is the cycle of our society, that we see the person who lives beside us with, with X amount of things or, or the family that we want or the successful career that we desire and we fixate our eyes on the idea of success through the lens of the other individual. And we do this over and over again. And even if, even if we do find success through that lens, because it is through their life that we're finding our success, it is still not enough. And we crave again. And we covet again, and we look maybe to them all over again, and we find another area of their life that we desire, or we look to someone else, and we replace it over and over and over again, and we become discontent with who God has created us to be. To covet is to sacrifice any sense of contentment in your story. And this is where we find Jacob. Jacob has double the inheritance. He should be happy. And yes, he has the leading of his mom in this situation, but he's, he's not absolved of any moral failings in this moment. He's making a decision for himself to take more. And in a story that is generations upon generations old, that is our story today. How do we take more? How do we get more? Because more equals success, right? When I have more money, I'm successful. When I have more friends, I'm successful. When I have more of anything, somehow that quantifies to success. And then we covet and we crave and we keep pushing for more. And here's the thing. When we are so fixated on these end destinations, the things that we covet, I want to get more money, I want to get more friends, I want to get more relationships, I want to have more influence. It's this end destination that we get to, and then we're drawn back to this first question of how far will you go to actually get that end point? And to be honest, when I ask that question, I feel like the normative North American response is, I'll do anything. I'll do whatever it takes. I will grind. I will work hard. I will push so that I can get the things that I need to find success. But isn't that exactly what Jacob is doing? 
And on his way to the end destination of finding success for himself, he compromises his integrity and it takes bits and pieces of him along the way. He got to that end destination once of birthright and it cost him a bit of his integrity. And then he found a bad habit and started to lean into it and started to continue along that process all over again to get the blessing. When, when the desires of our heart are relative to the ownership of others, then we will forever live a life unable of celebrating what God has given to us. If you're living a life in pursuit of what others have, then what you get will never be enough. When, when Esau left the open country, and Rebecca said to her son Jacob, Go get the goat. Come back, make some matcha meme. We'll go to your father and we'll trick him. We'll make you hairy with some goat skin. And we'll get the blessing that you so desire. And Rebecca kind of looks like the villain in this situation. She looks like the bad person. But if we backtrack and we look to the very beginning of the story, when these two boys are born, there, there's a prophecy that's given saying that the, s- the younger will have authority over, over the older. So in some ways, in Rebecca's mind, she is simply carrying out the will of God. And I find that fascinating because how many of us feel like we've had a word from God? Something that we, s- we feel like God has led us into that we feel is right and we feel like it's going to be good and, and we know it's from God and we know that it's going to be good and how we lack the patience to actually walk in it so that we understand that it's not about the end point of that destination but it's about the process in between. That God actually isn't so fixated upon, upon the destination for our destiny, but he's actually more worried about the process and the, the development of the character that happens along the way. And for Rebecca, I, I, I empathize with her. I sympathize with her in a lot of ways because she feels like God has said, this is what it's going to be like. And she's just saying to herself, I'm going to help it along. How often do we try and help along a situation Because we feel that is what God desires or if it's our destiny and it's the thing that we need in our life to push us forward and we compromise our character in a way that we wouldn't in any other situation. That if someone was to ask us if they should do it in their own circumstances, man, we're great at giving advice in those moments. We know exactly what you should do to stay away and to not hurt people and to, and to be generous and to be kind and to be unselfish. But when it comes to our own situations, when we feel as if we are somehow justified in the place that we are trying to go, compromising our character seems to come far too easily. And this is what happens for Rebecca. This is what happens for Jacob. And the story goes on. It tells us that Rebecca makes the food and the dresses and dresses Jacob in Esau's clothes and, like I said, covers him in goat skins. There's deceit. 
There's trickery. There's a broken family dynamic. There's manipulation. There's a lot going on in this story. And in, in fact, I think there's a lot more going on than we actually see that's in, in the actual text itself. Because sometimes the thing that God wants us to see in the story is not directly in the text, but it's after you've read it a few times and then you actually reveal how you fit in the story. And if Jacob is called the deceiver, he doesn't really fall far, far from the tree in some ways. And for Rebecca, she's saying that if it isn't happening, then I'm going to make sure that it takes place. What happens when the thing we know is meant to be doesn't seem to be happening the way it was meant to in our minds? The bit of education that you were going to go into. The family that you were going to start. The church that you were going to build. The life that you were going to have that was going to seemingly be safe and secure and everything that your parents hoped and dreamed of suddenly looks different when you're actually walking in what God has for you. What do you do in those moments? Do we simply try and push towards what we believe is that end goal or do we actually pause in the midst of our journey and try to see what God is actually working on inside of us. In a lot of ways, I think God is far less, he cares far less about our destination than he does about actually the development of our character in the process. The way of Jesus isn't about getting to heaven. The way of Jesus is about bringing heaven down to earth. And that means... To be a representative of Jesus is not about the final destination that we're trying to push towards and just survive till the day comes that we then float up into heaven. But it's about experiencing him starting to shape us and transform us in the here and now in our relationships and our experiences and our circumstances. So often what I find is that in the narrative of society, we can justify our actions in a lot of ways. You've probably heard the statement, uh, the end justifies the means. It's pretty common. But that's exactly what we see in this story with Jacob, right? He gets the end. He gets the blessing. He gets the birthright. He has the authority and the inheritance, but at the cost of his integrity and at the cost of his relationship with his brother. Because when Esau comes back, and Esau hears the blessing has been taken, he says, not again, this is the second time he has robbed me. And he curses him. And he says, upon the death of our father, I'm going to come for you. And Rebecca hears this. And she sends word to Jacob. And she says, you need to run. You need to go to my, my cousin Laban. You need to go get away from here. And, and it might not seem significant, but l- l- let's look at what we know in this story. This is the family of Abraham. This is the family that was promised to actually fill the nations. 
to flourish. And then because of the decisions that took place that tried to force destiny forward, you see it all falling apart. When I was reflecting upon this passage and this story this week, I was thinking upon our, our journey as a church and how we've kind of gotten to this point, but even just the early stages in 2015 and how it was coming together, this idea of, of, of a church family and who we wanted to be and where we wanted to go and, and how it was coming together. And, it, and to be honest, it, it felt like destiny. It felt like Mufasa in the sky billowing in the clouds and saying, go start a church. And I'm like, okay, now what? And, and, and it felt so important and real that in, in many ways I was saying to myself, I'm going to do anything to make this happen. And there were so many points along the journey where I had to make a decision or, or I made the wrong decision of trying to please the wrong people. Of forcing a situation into place simply because I believed that the successful and the right thing, the thing that we were moving towards was so good that I would do anything to make it happen. A little, a little manipulation of a story, uh, a, a little pushing of, of an individual a certain direction, making things fit just so right so that the destiny that I believe God was calling us into was going to fit and it was going to come together. And I was so convicted through the whole process. And as I was reading this passage this week, I, I was in a place of God saying to me, your success does not equal your salvation. Your success is not your salvation. And I think that's something we need to hear. That your success is not your salvation. Because even though Jacob makes mistake after mistake, steals the birthright, steals the blessing, destroys a family, goes on a journey that we will dive into in the weeks to come. The moral of this story is not do what you have to do, the moral of the story is that even when we do something that seems to destroy our destiny, God is still pursuing us and leading us to this place where he can use us. He did everything wrong. He ruined a family. He sabotaged a prophecy and a relationship that was meant to last well beyond that moment. And yet, God still gets to this place where he calls him Israel, my chosen people, and he uses him for the good of the world. Your success is not your salvation because our Savior is always in pursuit of you. Your story does not end when there is a mistake that is made. You are not going to be able to sabotage anything to the point where God says there is no turning back. Because the love and unconditional grace of God says that even when you fall short, even when you make mistakes, even when you sabotage relationships and ruin every bit of the seemingly 
perfect destiny that's directly in front of you. My love for you is not dependent upon those things. My love for you will pursue you so that we can continue to start again. That we'll, we'll, we'll go one more time. And then one more time after that. And when you fall short again, even that time, I'm going to start again with you one more time. The story of Jacob is, is our story. That's we, we covet the wrong things. We place success on a pedestal. We believe that our only value and our importance comes from the things that we somehow gather that are belonging to others around us. But if that's the story of Jacob, then God's presence in his story is just as true in yours. That his love for you goes above and beyond over and over and over again. That he's in pursuit of your heart and he's more worried about the process than the destination. Would you pray with me? For some of you this morning, you feel as if you need some freedom from this weight of success. You, you, you're carrying this immense feeling as if everyone around you has such high expectations and it's weighing you down and it's changing the way you think and it's causing you to compromise your integrity in ways that you would never want to do. I want to pray for, for freedom from that weight of success. And there's others of you who feel like you've already compromised, you've already made mistakes, and there's already been decisions that you feel like have sabotaged your destiny. But we serve a God of the second chance. And he just wants to start again today. So I'm going to pray for you. So Father, we're so grateful in the moments like these that we can come before you completely vulnerable, completely exposed, completely uncertain of how or where or when we can really come before you. But in these moments, your spirit is pursuing us. So for those here today that are buckling under that weight of success, that they're quantifying success based upon the people around them and we're, we're coveting and desiring the things that others have and we say that we need to get that in order to be successful, in order to be impactful, in order to be noticed. Father, I pray that you provide freedom. Freedom from that weight that we're having to carry. Thank you that you offer to take our burden. So for that burden of success right here, right now, for everybody in this room, we say take it. Let there be a lightness that comes upon us that can only be from you. That this unconditional love lifts us up. And we find peace, we find joy that we never thought possible. And for those of us this morning that are in this place and we feel like we have done too many things to come back from it. As if we need a second chance all over again. Father, I just pray right now 
that your grace would be something that would invade our minds and our hearts and our souls and it would just give us so much peace. That we would just long for you. So for the second chances in the room, let them start right now. There is nothing that can separate us from his love. We're so grateful. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for a Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.